0: Helping today's entrepreneurs stay on top of the latest digital marketing trends. I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, episode 140. Why is everyone ignoring your content? DigitalMarketingRadio.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Aweber. Build your email list, engage your subscribers, do email the right way. I've arranged a special deal for all digital marketing radio listeners and that's a 60-day free trial with the email marketing software provider I use, AWeber. Lock in your 60-day free trial plus view a video that I've recorded on the three reasons why I use their service at aweber.com/dmr. So just go to aweber.com/dmr to get started today.
1: The big interview with David Bain
0: Today I'm joined by a UK digital marketer with a passion for digital communications. He's currently an SEO account manager based in Yorkshire, England. Welcome to DMR, Dan Taylor. Happy to be here, David. Yeah, great to have you, Dan. Well, thanks for joining us. Well, you can find Dan over at keywordsandjargon.com. So, um, Dan, I'm sure everyone's been there. You press the publish button in your content and then... (laughs) <laughs> so
1: why do so many content marketers struggle to get traction with their content? I mean, Rand Fishkin has got a famous quote out there, which probably everyone has seen, and it is the quote that I hit publish and everyone just came to my blog. Yeah. Now in 2016, we all have new challenges, there's ad blockers coming in, but I still think there's three challenges which were existing probably as far back as 2014, which are still with us now, and they differentiation, um, the quality and relevance of content, and as how content can actually be controlled by the users who receive it themselves. Absolutely, absolutely. Does that mean that it's it's changed significantly
0: over the last couple of years? You know, was it possible you know a couple of years ago just to hit publish and and, and be successful fairly easily?
1: I mean, I think if we're honest as ourselves as marketers, we know that every piece of content we produce isn't going to hit every single audience member and be engaged with by every single audience member. We specialise it and target it in a way that we hope it will be engaged enough to achieve goals, whether it be website visits, sign-ups, newsletter sign-ups, that sort of thing. Mm. But the challenges are not really addressed correctly, in my opinion. I mean, I still think there's issues with it isn't necessarily the content we produce. I mean, we can produce great infographics, great blog posts, great guides, but then if we go about distributing it in the wrong way or distributing it to the wrong segments of our audience, it's just the great content might as well be a bad piece of content. Okay, okay. Um,
0: So is the type of content that is successful now different compared
1: with um, what you could be successful with a couple of years ago though? I still think the same pieces of content can still be successful if targeted towards the correct audience members. I mean, everyone engages with things in different ways. Um, some people prefer to put, open up several tabs and then go through articles on a very, like, stage unleisurely scale. Um, one of the themes coming through I've seen this year is the too-long-didn't-read sort of news segments coming out with, like, the shortened news bites of things. Mm. Uh, but by the same token, it's the content isn't the issue. I think it's about the distribution of the content, and the actual quality of that distribution.
0: Okay, okay, so it's not about how long it is because I mean some bloggers say you have to write 2,000, 3,000 words blog posts now to to be really successful to raise your head above the competition but but that's not necessary you say?
1: I mean from an SEO point of view we always recommend say to our clients to go if you're going to do a blog post make sure it's at least 500 words, make sure it's good quality and it's not thin content, so it doesn't get impacted by Panda. Um, we sometimes we recommend to some clients that they focus on doing a longer form piece of content, so like a nice guide, rather than doing one of them every week or fortnight, rather than churning out lots of little pieces of content.
0: Yeah, because I mean, it's it, blogging um, is is really a CMS now. You know, it's 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 just a way to actually publish content online, and y- you can deliver any type of content really as well so it's it's more about um, I guess the audience that you're dealing with and
1: what kind of content content that they like to consume yeah I mean if you use Facebook for example if you're a brand on Facebook and you might have 20,000 followers on your actual page if you're churning out the same sort of content just a link to a blog post a link to a blog post a link to a blog post Eventually, people start to suffer a brand fatigue, they'll go on a page or see it in the news feeds and it's the same sort of content each time, it's not broken up with anything, the visuals might be quite similar that are used, yeah. just the, the same sort of template, and eventually people sort of start to zone it out and sort of become almost blind to it and have that inbuilt filter.
0: Absolutely. There's a question here in the chat saying, um, do you suggest that as a brand manager, I have my brand create a blog on their website or is a Facebook page enough for them? I mean, I guess it depends on also how engaged people within the organisation are likely to be in terms of actually writing content themselves. And of course, um, if, if, if you publish a blog, then you own it, you know, it's on your domain and you don't have to be concerned about organic reach and something like Facebook. But I mean, what's your thoughts on that one, Dan?
1: I mean, my theory on that is if a brand or a company has the capability to sustain a blog in-house and have one on the site, then by all means do it because it's an opportunity to add further content into your site, if that makes sense. Mm. Say if you are a, a holiday provider to France and you do certain tours, and say you do tours to Paris through your blog, you'll be able to throw in the additional content like... The top 10 best restaurants to go visit in paris the top 10 tourist attractions that sort of thing which might not necessarily fit in with your actual core site content but when people searching for things like that around paris they'll go on to that see the 10 restaurant post hopefully read that when it's ranked in google and then also see that you're a paris tour operator
0: yeah, absolutely. And of course, um, if you consistently publish uh, content on your site, Google will see that you're um, refreshing your website, um, you're adding more value to your website, and um, they're more likely over time to rank you as someone who is relevant and up to date um, as a website within your, w- within your niche. Um, so SEO is, is, is one of the more significant reasons for having a blog on your own website. Is that, is that something you'd say as well?
1: I'd say for SEO purposes it is significant, but also as a sort of engagement sort of piece of content on the site as well. I mean, if, if a lot of sites, if you look at it with a bare bones, say it's a commerce site, it literally will probably be a home page an about a page. There might be some branded landing pages for products, yep. but then it is just products, checkout, empty. Now, I'm fir- I firmly believe that engagement metrics and things like bounce rate, time on site, Will come into play a lot, lot more in 2016 and beyond. So, if you're producing articles which are related to your products and your brand that your audience will be interested in, it's increasing their engagement on site. And if you're also producing content on a regular basis, it kind of gives them an incentive to keep coming
0: back. Yeah, yeah. But when you you talk about engagement, and um, you don't see too many comments on blogs nowadays. I mean, a lot of engagement comes on social networks so you're talking about the quantity of um, tweets retweets and, and, and facebook likes and things like that rather than actually comments as engagement metrics
1: the social share aspect is interesting because there's a lot of studies that say there is an impact on seo through beyond site social shares and there are some that aren't um, but for me the engagement's more if you come onto a site and you obviously see that you don't the content's not for you, it's not matching your search intent, you'll go straight away and you'll generate quite a high bounce rate with a low time on page. Whereas, if the content's good, it's say it's a nice long form blog post, it's broken up with a nice imagery, it's clear to read, someone might spend three, four minutes reading that, and then that's three, four minutes on page, and it's time on page. So, if Google, I think, obviously, it's recording analytics, and obviously, a lot of people are now using Chrome. I can't see how in time that isn't going to become almost a ranking factor.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Google um, want to become more intelligent. They want to start reducing the, the reliance on counting backlinks as part of their algorithm. And obviously they've brought in artificial intelligence as being a significant part of their their algorithm um, just a few months ago or so. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in 2016, as you're saying. But um, you know, a few more comments there in the chat. We've got um, Beverly saying, um, are people actually going to keep up with um, a blog? And that, that's something that's um, very important to think about as well, because um, if you just give someone the medium to write, you're not necessarily telling them why it's important and you're not necessarily finding people who will consistently do that over time. And a blog that has a post published from six months ago and that's all and nothing else at all is maybe even an exercise in negative publicity rather than something beneficial.
1: I'd agree with that. Um, If a blog is going to be something that's going to be undertaken on a site, it definitely has to be updated at least monthly, if not fortnightly, purely because if someone does come, like you said, and see something that's six months old, they're going to start thinking, is this site still being used? Is it being maintained? Has it just been abandoned? I mean, I look through a lot of blogs and look through a lot of sites each day when I'm looking for content ideas, and I've come across ones which they look really, really good. And mean, I actually go to contact them and it turns out they actually closed two years ago, and it's just a yeah. dead ghost ship almost.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And another question saying that um, which do you think is more effective, a brand trying to build their social media um, platform blogging or holding a Lab session, inviting people to actually come on board and have a, a QA and a type session. I mean, personally, me, I, I like to think of it as more of a hub and spoke model. And you've got to decide, you know, what's your centre And then you can uh, build your different communication mixes around that and perhaps have you know, a Q&A on, on Blab and driving people towards your your blog and then perhaps ultimately to your product or service after that. Um is that something you'd um you'd nod your head with then?
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that point. I mean, I think if you just had the blog, you just have a blog. if you just went down the blab route, yes, there's people watching live, there's people engaging live, but then you are left obviously with the recording afterwards. And it's whether or not someone's gonna watch it and go, Oh, well actually I've got a question on that and then whether or not they're actually gonna come into the next one. Um but I also think your actual market needs to dictate it a little bit as well. Um and depending on what your products are, because if you've got a very non-exciting product, our people go into comment and sit and have a Q&A about it almost.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned that it's not necessarily about the quantity of content and also it's really about actually how people go about distributing the content. So so what are the mistakes that people are making at the moment? And how can people rectify that and get more viewers for their content?
1: I think one of the largest mistakes at the moment, um, especially through sort of your inbound channels, your social, your email, and your blog itself, um, more so probably with your email, is the lack of control actually given to people who receive your content. I mean, I have brands who I sign up to email newsletters for who are quite large brands, quite large turnovers, yet I get emails on a daily basis which are completely irrelevant and For me that's quite a lazy sort of email strategy um because all they'd have to do is just set up a half decent preference center i mean one of the examples um i'm not gonna name brands but i signed up to a um sports shoe um retailer and reseller and i just get tons and tons of email a week one a day and it's brands i'm not interested in if they had a preference center i could select what brands i was interested in then all they use is dynamic content in email, then I would instantly start getting emails which I'm interested in and I'm more mm. likely to engage with.
0: It's incredible the people that um, get in touch with you. I'm, I'm talking people, it could be brands, um, but um, they just try and sell you something straight away without actually even attempting to get to know you, to, to see what kind of thing you're likely to, to want to, to, to like yourself. And uh, it's, a, it's a big turnoff.
1: I mean, especially with email, um, in one of my previous roles, I handled an email database which was just over 50,000. And we sent out a monthly newsletter each month. And we, we, the data quality we had, I say it was about 55,000 in quantity, only about 7,000 of that had probably actually used the preference centre. So a lot of it was just a generic email. So we tried to differentiate the content as much as we could. I and mean, then after a full calendar year, we kind of decided well, how about we do a feedback exercise? And so I just ran a quick query on my database to find the users who had opened January, February's, March's each month's actual newsletter. And out yeah. of fifty-five thousand people, there was only fifteen who'd actually opened every single newsletter. You mean fifteen thousand, not fifteen people? <laughs> no, I mean I mean fifteen people. Oh, you mean, oh wow! Okay, right. Okay, <laughs> so, that's not good. But then when you took one or two off, it started to go into actual thousands.
0: Wow okay okay that's um. That's incredible actually so um. hardly anyone is likely to open every single communication from you so I I guess it emphasises the importance of um, maybe trying again and, and, and not getting offended if people don't act on one email that you send out
1: and I also think it's important that when you do eventually break through that white noise and actually do get that open and then that people are presented with content that they actually do want to see and they are going to engage with I mean I delete a lot. I mean, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll probably have about fifteen to twenty emails in my inbox. Yeah. Eleven thirteen of them will get deleted straight away. And it's that sort of relationship that people have got to learn to accept with the content.
0: It's that inbox zero that you're
1: looking for every day. I've got a Pavlovian reaction when it comes to notifications. <laughs> if I see a notification he's got to uh, he's got to go. <laughs> so,
0: um is it going to be necessary, do you think, in 2016 to pay-to-play to get real quantity of traffic coming to your content? Or is it still going to be possible to play the organic game and do that very effectively and drive traffic
1: that way? I still think the organic game is going to be important. Um, I also think sort of with the side of like the link building side of things as well, if you produce a very good piece of content and it's useful... The theory is people are going to link to it naturally, which obviously Google sees a link as trust, passes on the domain authority, all that sort of thing. But I still think the organic game is going to be important as well as your distribution channel afterwards.
0: Okay. um, We've got... um... Craig with a question there saying that um, so you have a link that you're blogging about do you suggest linking all the mentions of the link and subject in the blog itself Um, I guess um, he's saying you know do you need to actually have multiple links within a blog post to really emphasize perhaps um, using outlinks you know what your subject is about or perhaps actually you're referring to a particular resource how important is linking within blog posts nowadays Dan?
1: I mean, whenever we sort of get our clients to do them, we tell them to include internal links um, more for ease. And also, if they come across resources that they do use, do link to them. Um, I mean, for some of our clients, we say if you're going to do um, one of our travel clients, if you're going to do a guide on the local area, if in that guide you include a sea life centre or a family amusement arcade and they've got a website, or they've got some or twitter feed actually link to them in that and then when you go to that distribution tweets at sea Life center we've included you are yeah best guy to do in london sort of thing and then harness their relationship with their audience and i know it's a bit of a sort of oh we've included this is great but the underlying agenda is you want that retweet you want them to share it you want to expand your reach with that Absolutely. An appeal to people's vanity. Um,
0: Wordstream, they featured me in a blog post of the top 10 marketing podcasts. And I thought, wow, lovely. OK, I'll, you know, and they, they, they tweeted me to say that included me in there. And, thought, I, I, and I certainly was encouraged to actually share that. So if you're including a list of um, maybe top people in a certain field and you don't reach out to them, actually tell them that they've been included, then that's a massive op- op- marketing opportunity for you that you've missed out on.
1: Yeah, I mean definitely. I mean not everyone monitors their link profile. Not everyone is as clued on to look at their notifications as regularly. Um I know certainly a lot of smaller businesses and smaller companies don't. Some are very clipped, like turn um switched on and clued up to the matter. But it doesn't help, it doesn't hurt just to give that little bit of a nudge because if you've done that nudge, say via Twitter or Facebook, you've done all the hard work for them, they've just got yeah. to press like or share or retweet. And that's their effort
0: done. Well, coming up, we're going to be learning about the one piece of software that Dan couldn't live without. But first of all, I want to say a big thank you to Sean Clark for inviting me as a guest on his podcast called The Small Business Marketing Report. Sean and Robert Tyson, I host that show, and they invited me on episode number 76 to talk about the future of SEO. So if that subject interests you, just search out um, your favourite podcast directory for the Small Business Marketing Report and check it out. But let's segue into the second section of our discussion so that focuses more on Dan's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with...
1: Software I couldn't live without.
0: So Dan, what software you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you it would significantly impact your marketing success?
1: I think at the moment one of the pieces of software we are using a hell of a lot um, is a tool called Canva. Um, a lot a lot of our clients aren't massively technically skilled, um, they don't have a lot of time to invest and when we're telling them to produce the good piece of content or blog posts we tell them to make it visual they get a little bit sort of deer in headlights and can and canva is just it's um it's kind of like photoshop but almost at like a fisher price play school sort of level (laughs) you can it's got preset templates for facebook ads um facebook cover sizes and all the posts for social media as well as banners for um google adwords and you can just click on one of them sizes, and it automatically populates it up. And it's just click and drag and drop with your own imagery, text, and it's a very useful tool for, especially the small businesses we work with.
0: Yeah, that's a great resource. I've used it for a few different images uh, beside tweets, and it's just so easy. You can set your template, and then once you've got your template designed, you can just add text to it for future quotes if that's what you're going to use it for as well. And it just takes two minutes to do so resource
1: i mean i was i used to be very lazy on a personal level with the imagery i used on my blog um, and on other little sites i manage but then when i actually started using this and started using it properly i've almost become a little bit prudish with the images i use now and i make sure that certain levels i keep a record of what font goes with what backing color and it is just so easy to use yeah absolutely and and with your own
0: iphone now or whatever um it's so easy just to either create your own images, take your own images, create them on, on, on Canva. There's no reason to have stock images um, with some not very nice uh, piece of writing saying SEO or whatever uh, beside a blog post, just a stock image. Um, you need to be original and do something a little bit different.
1: I mean, especially even more so with the likes of Pixabay and Flickr, um, which has a lot of images which you can use for commercial purpose with creditation. Um, not using good imagery or, like you said, taking one off Google which has got a, a brand watermarked across it because you haven't paid for 79 yeah. cents or whatever for it. then days are gone and you you can't be lazy like that anymore. Well, a slightly more cal- challenging question here. And what piece of software don't you
0: use but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future?
1: Actually, a piece of software got passed um, sort of my way today. Um, I'm not 100% how how you actually pronounce it um but it's called Hubballing, um H-U-B-A-L-L-I-N. And okay, i'm glad you spelled it because i'll be searching for that afterwards to include a <laughs> link to that yeah. it's a um from what i've been told it's a content uh, finder piece so i've had a little play around with it sort of this morning but you kind of you put in keywords and similar to like how google keyword planner works it turns out all the keywords people are searching for this will turn out sort of the more topical things around what people are actually searching for. So if you type in, um, for example, I did it with a couple this morning. One was I typed in with Sri Lanka. First thing you started coming out with was rather than your typical Sri Lanka stuff, it was like, what is the capital of, what is the language, what is the food, what is the cuisine? So if you've got a topic, someone's about, I can imagine it's going to be something like you put in like horse riding and it will churn out some sort of more questiony sort of search queries, which you can then look to build content around. Great. Okay. Well, um,
0: uh, great, two great tools for the sound of it there. So um, I'll make sure I include that um, in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com where the, um, the podcast episode will be republished. But moving on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back on the first day that you were involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently?
1: Oh, God. Um, well, the first day I actually started professional work sort of out of university um i was thrown into a meeting with an seo agency and then a meeting with a ppc agency and it was very much sort of wet, wet behind the out of evening thrown into the wolves sort of thing on first day um i really think in sort of that first day i wish i'd asked more questions and not been afraid to sort of dig deeper into things because i had the knowledge from obviously doing the degree but then i still had that sort of notion in my head Oh, I'm just a 22 year old guy. What do I know? What right have I got asking the questions of these people, sort of thing? And I think, in hindsight, probably you actually not been afraid to challenge things a little bit more. Don't be afraid to look stupid, basically. <laughs> Pretty much. Let's just um,
0: move on to the next one, which is... The
1: this or that round. And
0: that is the quick response round. So, um, ten quick questions here, and just two, two rows. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. Ready to go on this one? Yep. That didn't sound very definitive, but okay, we'll go, we'll go for it anyway.
1: <whistles> Email or Twitter? Twitter.
0: Audio or Video. Video. Affiliates or display advertising? Ooh, display. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one relations?
1: Online press releases.
0: Paid search or SEO? Both. Email contact form or telephone number?
1: Email contact form.
0: Website or app? Website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Local. Oh, you got through it with just saying the one both. Um, (laughs) Mostly people leave their both until the the very end there. Probably the answer that surprised me most was the first one, though, because you went with Twitter rather than email. You, You don't seem to like email much, really.
1: I do. I mean, I do use email, but I found a lot of relationships I've built up with People, especially through the guest blogging I do, I found if I spend time writing an email, finding like people who work there, sending it out, I never really got a response. But I found like um, if Beverly's still watching, she'll testament to this. When I that, yeah, she's seeing
0: Twitter rules in the chat. Yes,
1: <laughs> we're across uh, as ocean between us, but we're still joined up. But um, when I when I blog for her agency, I send them a tweet. Because it's with an email, it can get fallen on deaf ears. It's just easy to remove an email with a tweet. You get an notification, it is there. And I have generally found it is a better way to build that sort of relationship.
0: Yeah, uh, it's very easy to actually interact with top people in their field and it's it cuts right through to them personally doesn't it sometimes Mm -hmm. if you're trying to look for their email address you won't find it so you've got to fill out some contact form with their company and you never know if the message is actually going to get sent on or not so it's more direct certainly
1: definitely i mean when i've read posts on moz and i've gone oh that's a question i've just found the actual author on you moz or moz yourself, send depending on time zone I've got to reply back and like when that saw sort of first had happening it was like oh wow when I was still wet behind my ears it was like oh wow people are actually communicating what well, and because of how little success I've had with email with that it was like what's happening why are people communicating back and it became a little bit more of a suspicion sort of thing still wet behind my ears I'm not sure if that's a saying that people would understand
0: in the states I'm just, I'm just wondering it's, how you um, can actually describe that if that's the case uh,
1: Oh, God. Um... (sighs) I really don't know how to explain that any different <laughs> Well, let
0: them look it up in a dictionary if that's the case. Yeah. Um, but um, maybe, maybe if people are watching from the States, perhaps you can tell me if that's a phrase that you actually understand. You just never, never know quite if um, some phraseology translates well across the pond. But uh, let's just move on to the next question, which is...
1: that $10,000 question.
0: And that's if I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success?
1: With single thing, I would probably go for an investment towards sort of tech and probably build... And I know that's not a single sort of thing, but I'd build up more... I mean, we use Macs anyway, but I'll just improve, like, double Mac up and improve the actual computing capabilities that we have. Because I think with marketing, a lot of emphasis gets put on the actual gear you've got, but if you've got good sort of gear, good bandwidth, good everything to actually do... What you want to do, your capabilities is actually within yourself. So I can spe- so I could look at spending ten thousand more on a PPC campaign or something like that. But if your product's good and what you've actually got to share is good, then you just need that capability.
0: That's that's intriguing. So essentially, what you're looking to do is make people who are working there more efficient and enjoy mm-hmm. their working life more. And by doing those two things. Um, you know that they'll be able to deal with more customers and um, your business will be more profitable anyway.
1: Effectively, yeah. I mean, um, I'm going to use your microphone as an example. Um, You're using, from what I can see, the standard Apple sort of headphones as well. Most of them come with a microphone connected, but the actual microphone you've invested in enables you to do the additional marketing idea more effectively. It muffles out the background noise. It enables you to have a higher quality product at the end, whereas the actual quality of the product itself isn't driven by the microphone, it's driven by you. We've had clarification that they do
0: say wet behind the ears in the States as well, so whew, that's alright then. Uh, I'm just, um, yeah, I'm just concerned good. about um, being com- you know, understood um, in, in, in as many areas as possible.
1: That's good to know. Thank you, Meg well
0: uh, i reckon that just takes us on to my number
1: one takeaway
0: so dan you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation but what's the number one takeaway what's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement in their
1: own businesses i think the biggest thing they need to do sort of especially with content this year is to actually invest time in looking into the analytics looking into the data and learning what your audience is actually saying back to you um If you're putting out a lot of Facebook posts and they're getting good engagement in terms of likes, yes, that's good. But if it's the same people liking it every single time, your actual reach isn't growing. Um, With your blog, especially investing some time in analytics itself and looking at what pages aren't performing, why they're not performing, seeing what keywords they're coming up for in search console and investing time into actually creating good pieces of content and then maintaining it.
0: Excellent. Okay, so stop. Batting and just keeping, keeping on hitting um, balls um, without actually knowing exactly precisely what's working and what's not and, and refining what you're doing. Mm-hmm, definitely. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, well, that um, takes us to the um, end of our discussion today. So, thank you so much
1: for your time and your advice. What's the best way for our audience to
0: find out more about you and what you do?
1: Um, the best way to sort of get in touch from me would be through Twitter. Um, my handle is danny underscore um, you can also find me on my website, which is Um I've got all the contact forms and off there, or you can connect to me on LinkedIn, um, which is Dan Taylor. Um, alternatively, I've got a link off my actual website because I appreciate Dan Taylor is a very common name. <laughs> it's hard to optimize for that, is it? yeah pretty much <laughs> <laughs> okay well
0: um, thank you so much for, for, for joining me again I'll, I'll make sure that um, obviously there are links to um, all the resources that you, you mentioned there in the show notes at, at digitalmarketingradio.com so yeah thanks to Dan and thanks dear uh, to listener too if you enjoyed what Dan shared today here's how you can help go to your friend's iPhone and go to the podcast app and search for digital marketing radio click on the show then hit the subscribe button and make them listen too Finally, I'm also hosting another live show every Friday called This Week in Organic. So head over to thisweekinorganic.com and find out more about that. But that's all for now. Until we meet again, adios. And thanks
1: again for joining me, Dan. Great show. Thank you.